Hello, I'm Jamie McGarry from Valley Press. And I'm Emma Wrights from the Emma Press. So this is, this is episode one, uh, is that right, officially? Yes. Yeah. And I, I thought, if you don't mind, I'd start by telling the listeners my four golden rules of publishing. Yes, I, I'd love it. I, they've, ever since I heard them, they've been going around in my mind and I've been kind of questioning them, wondering whether I, I'd want them up on my wall. So I think these are definitely a, a good starting point. Yeah, because they're all, they're all sort of, um, they all sort of ask more questions than the answer, really. They're all sort of points to think about. So there's only four, so I'll go through them. Number one is treat every person who gets in touch as if they were the most important person in the world. Um, and that is very difficult because I get, do get a lot of um, sort of correspondence from people I don't know um, asking sometimes questions that aren't perhaps the sharpest uh, questions. Is that a very polite way of putting it, Emma? Do you ever get any of these <laughs> I do. And so that, that's why I have, I don't know, that's why I have questions about this rule. So I guess I swing between wild idealism and grim pragmatism. So I'd say yes in a way it's good to treat everyone as if they're the most important person in the world but sometimes they're just really annoying and so, or it's just very, really it's careless very, yeah it's very very hard to keep that rule up let me give an example of when it's most difficult let's say um you're racing to get a book finished or you're about to run out the door of some important thing or something and um phone goes and uh, in fact we'll do we'll do the phone call now emma and we'll say so you've got you're very very busy at the moment right and i'm and I'm, an ing- I'm just calling, because actually you haven't got a public phone number, have you? For the no, but we've I... Got a, we've, we have got a public phone number. So, I actively um, do not want to be phoned up, because I find mostly being phoned kind of just slightly alarming. I, yeah, I always, I always scream when any phone rings, so that's not, okay, it's not, that a, good, a, it's not a good point imagine, to start any phone calls. Like, ah! Let's imagine... <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the phone, yeah. But let's imagine it's the future, and you, you're the only person in the office for some reason, you're okay. very busy, and the phone rings... And it's yeah, and uh, I'm the I'm the caller, okay. Okay. Bring, uh, bring. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Am I right? Is, is, that, is that Emma's parrot? Is that Emma's parrot shop? Yeah. <laughs> no, Wait, so, so, cut that down. I'll do a small scream. <laughs> Hello, Emma Wright from the Emma Press. Right, I'm now going to try and be a proper caller, okay. Hello. Uh, oh, it's, uh, it's. I'm glad to speak to you. Um, I just have an inquiry about submissions, if that's okay. It's not okay. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, so you've already failed. You've already failed. <laughs> I can see we're not going to get away with the actual um, fake call. But the point is, people call. They talk. They talk slowly, but they want to. They want to understand. They want to engage with Valley Press, or they've they've tried to buy a book. The two things they have most problems with. People understanding PayPal and how to pay with PayPal yes. and what PayPal is and has will it eat my credit card? Will it suck my soul out through the computer? That sort of thing. That's <laughs> a or, valid or, fear. Or, or submission questions. Um, every submissions question ever has been asked now, I think. But yeah, still, still new ones arrive. Um, so... The point, the point is, for them, this could be the only time they get in touch with Valley Press. This is their their interaction. And I just, in my heart, I want to give everyone a positive experience. Yes. And, um, yeah, I've talked to my uh, staff about this. And uh, 
And they've actually got really good at it, much better than I have. They, they always take the time to sort these people. And um, so it does cost money in a sense. If they spend half an hour talking to someone and I'm paying them £10 an hour, yeah. then it costs me £5 to answer that person's call in a sense. Yeah, so yeah. That's, yeah. So that's, um, so that, so it is a, it's a hard rule to follow. They're all hard, but um, that's perhaps the hardest one and the most important one. I, I, I'm always wrestling with the idea of um, being professional and what running a business really means. So does being a business owner and being kind of the face of the Emma Press, does that mean I have to have no opinions? Does that have mean I have to kind of subscribe to the idea that, that the customer's always right or everyone else is always right? Or am I allowed to... Ha- well, this is... Yeah, like that's the whole this topic. This is a really important <laughs> question. Like, I, have, I, have wrestled, I have wrestled with this because I have, I have some strong political opinions um, but I kind of, I struggle not to put them into the newsletter. And, yeah. Uh, not, most of the publishers do not feel this, um, this need. But the question is, do you want, let's say, let's imagine there's a polit- particular political leader or party that we don't like, um, or if you, if, you can, if you can stretch your imagination to that, yeah. Would you still want them to buy Emma Press books or Valley Press books and feel that they could enjoy them? I, I definitely don't think it's as binary as right and wrong. And I think you can support many different political parties and be basically okay. I, I think no one's perfect and no party is perfect as well. Um, do, you think, do you think I'm right to keep the political stuff out of my newsletter? It's something I think about a lot too. I, I think basically, I think you do have to decide what you stand for. And I think ultimately you can pretend that being objective and neutral is the most professional way of doing things and is the kindest way of doing things because it doesn't alienate anyone. But at the same time, we're not robots. We're people and we're existing in a community. And I think we do have a moral moral obligation to engage with that and to try and make a change and I, I think both of us are trying to make a social change with our publishing houses so I'm not sure if it is the most helpful thing to kind of hide behind neutrality I think mostly I end up thinking I think that's cowardice and it's very easy to to defend the position and think no one expects a political opinion from this press I don't want anyone to feel excluded but the fact is lots of people are excluded already and I, th- I think that's something that we sh- we should be angry about, and that we we should try to change. So, if if people who you know don't like our, our opinions feel excluded, then you know, like that's <laughs> maybe then they'll understand how it feels. And I don't. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's maybe too extreme, but I don't know. I, I I just don't. I feel like. It's sometimes a bit of a trap saying, "Oh, you've got to be objective. You don't want people. You don't want people to feel bad." Like sometimes people should feel bad. Sometimes people f- should kind of wonder about their privilege. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because otherwise, if if we just contribute to everyone feeling very safe and cozy and unchallenged, what does that make us? I think that makes yes, us cowards. That's, that's, and that's a very good point. So, well, uh, look out for my next newsletter. <laughs> some a few. A few movements are going to get a bit of trouble. I think we have to promote compassion and kindness, but at the same time, we do we do have to stand for things because we already do, whether we like it or not. And I, I think it's 
it's better if we embrace that and do it deliberately rather than accidentally. Well, my in-laws have three dinner table rules, I think, that I can remember. Um, And one of them is no politics at the dinner table, no talking about anything like that. It's all, you know, all, all breadsticks, no Brexit. <laughs> it's, it's rather catchy. <laughs> I've just made that up now. That's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Jamie, tell me about rule two. Okay, because um, rule two is, it's very, this is very specific. The other, the other three are quite vague, but rule two is weirdly specific. It's don't organise a book launch until you have a confirmed print date from the printer. Yeah, but again, that's one which... That's the one I most consider writing on the wall of my spare room slash office slash Mark's current bedroom because so many of my kind of crises are due to disobeying the rule. And I'm con- and ever since you told me about that rule, I always think, why? Why did I disobey rule two? But <laughs> maybe you could tell, tell us, the listeners a bit about why rule two is so often broken. Well, it's to do with the, the stress we put on ourselves as, as books come down to the final... I mean, first of all, it would be wonderful if books were always way ahead of schedule and um, they all got delivered to the distributor four weeks ahead of release date. And that's always the goal. That's always the dream. I don't know how yeah. often you, you meet that goal slash dream. Emma. So rarely. Okay. So very rarely. <laughs> Me as well. Even However much I plan, it always seems to go slightly wrong. Um, and so this is it, because once you can, if, if we need to design the book to a deadline, we can do that. Me and you can do that. We can stay up till we can work till nine at night or whatever and make sure the book, the files are delivered by a particular deadline. Yes. But if you haven't got a book a printer booked in, it's then out of our hands. And then if you're, if you're unsure whether the books will arrive, if you get into a, like an awkward situation where there's a problem and then the days are ticking down and you've got a launch event, which is a hard deadline, unlike the release date, which is fairly arbitrary, wibbly-wobbly, who cares, mm. who even looks at those. Um, so the launch date, and it always seems to be something like, oh, my auntie's coming over from New Zealand or something. Yeah. Um, and there's always, there's always and, oh, I've actually I've spent £100 to book this room and I've built, bought some wine and I've got a train ticket or something. And will the books arrive on time? And there's nothing I can do about it. And even now, I'm, I feel like I get some palpitations. I get a little <laughs> bit of a sweat. <laughs> it's, uh, that is the most stressful part of publishing for me. Yeah, and there's the emotional side of things as well. It's, it's not just the idea of, kind of losing the money from not being able to have books at the launch because generally I always think oh we do the event anyway and we just say please can you pre-order the book but it's also it's because of people traveling over and people often travel quite far to come to our launches so when we do the anthology launches then sometimes people people have traveled from America as well as from Scotland and sometimes from Italy so you re- they've got their limited periods and also they've come all the way and they, they want to see the books. It's the kind of the final destination of this, this whole journey. And you so see, you don't want to let them down. Never mind the, the idea of losing, I don't know, 200, 300 pounds and plus the room hire fee. So yeah, that's, that's the thing that often kind of tips me over the edge and so kind of hysteria whenever a book's kind of and if the, when the printer's kind of saying, will they, won't they? <laughs> but also, I think at the back of my mind is always the fact that it's, it, does, it is my fault and I do take full responsibility of it. So if a book is late, it's always because I haven't started it early enough. And so I kind of think this is, 
I don't know, having my cake and eating it, or I don't know, what's it called? You kind of make your bed and lie down in it, and it's just a bed of panic and kind of flurried emails. And also, I never feel like I should pass this stress on to other people. So even when I kind of do need things done instantly, I think, well, the reason I need these files or this, this approval back instantly is because I didn't push it forward quickly enough at my end. And I don't think it's fair to pass on the stress to other people when it's not really up to them. And they they would have done it as quickly as possible at any other point had I asked them to. So, yeah, that, that's kind of <laughs> a horrible insight into all the thoughts going through my mind as I'm kind of waiting desperately for the books to come. Yeah, so I think the thing to do is to, as soon as you know the final specs, this is certainly on my workflow, when I know the final specs, which is just after typesetting, then... Then I book it in with a printer. I get the print quotes and I book it in with the printer. And they and I say, so I need it delivered now. Uh, I need it delivered for, let's say, 29th of October. And when do I need to send you the files Yes. for that to happen? And then that deadline you can work towards and you can sweat over that deadline. But it doesn't upset you so much because it's, it's in my power. Yes. And then when would you book the launch event? Ideally a week after the the print arrival date. Yeah. Um, but it, it can go wrong. And sometimes, um, like I had one author who really wanted to um, launch his book this year at Waterstones in York. And that had always been his dream since he was a little boy to have a launch at Waterstones. Actually, probably not. I'm not sure it's been around that long. But it, it always been his dream <laughs> to have a launch at Waterstones. But his book is uh, not really ready. So I've, I've set it for as far in the future as, as is sensible. Um, so I said it for 1st of December um, and that's not finished yet but it's it's off even though it's supposed to be out now it's, it's the launch is off in the distance and it's easy to meet that because it's off in the distance but you should definitely try and uh, keep to the rule yeah yeah I think of all the ones I'd like to frame uh, or to have kind of beeping every time I email any printer or, or email any any venue booking site. Like a neon sign you want. <laughs> yeah, saying do not, do not do this. I, I feel like, yeah, we, we've both experimented quite a lot with launch dates versus publication dates, um, trying to avoid this very stress. So I, I remember maybe a couple of years ago, you were trying to have the books printed and doing a kind of a small launch party, but then having the actual publication date where it was launched in the bookshops much later to try and build in this wall. And that's you're not still doing that, are you? Um, no, I think that was that was only a little experiment. And it was because I never got them early enough on almost any occasion to do that. <laughs> so it didn't really work. Yeah, you couldn't really try it. Yeah, because in, in my head, I, I always think... I'd like three years from beginning to end with a book and the, the files be ready for six months just so we can sit on them and that will give us time to book the launch and do all the publicity and it will all be will be so calm and so amazing. But the reality is, firstly, I think as a small press, one of our strengths is that we can put out books quite quickly. We don't have to go through kind of all sorts of meetings and departments. We, so we can push a book through, I don't know, in less less than six months really if we really really wanted and needed to so there's that and it feels like it would be a shame to ignore that aspect of our kind of the advantages of being a small press yes and and second of all like it just doesn't quite happen like that I'm always trying to work on several books at the same time 
And I think, okay, this will be great. So every year I promise myself it's going to be calm. There's going to be no rush to the, the printing line. And yeah, no one will have to be stressed. And basically, I can't really work on more than one book at a time. And I think that's partly just uh, kind of a part of human psychology. You kind of want to finish something before you start a new thing. And I always struggled with that at school and university, thinking, oh, I should, I should be topping up my vocabulary. I should be topping up my knowledge of, I don't know, Greek architecture or something. But actually, all I would do was <laughs> just, I don't know, read one book cover to cover and then think I'm really I'm really screwed for the rest of all of my exams um yeah and that's something I think maybe I'll, I'll never work out and so it's actually better just to just to start building up more of a team so everyone can chip in and everyone can be working on their one book at a time and, and that's partly partly the thinking behind having more editors in the MFS at the moment as people might have seen in the our call for submissions yeah well then you have the question which I've grappled with in recent years do you have if you have a team, are they all working on one book each? Or are they all, all, the, or are they all doing a little bit of work on all the books? Um, yeah. I've tried so it I both think... ways. Oh, and what, what do you think is better? Uh, the jury's still out, I think. <laughs> but it's hard to find people who can do everything like we can. Yes. Yes. Well, I think ideally... I think you can be in... I find it hard to be in the same position for multiple books but my my theory which I'm about to try out is having everyone being the editorial lead on just a handful of books which are coming out at different times so at any point any one point everyone is in different stages on their different books on which they're the leads and also doing small amounts for other books so because ideally I think everyone in a very small publisher should know about everything that's being published because it just gives you a greater sense of what the publishing house is and I don't know, it helps you think of ideas of what to do next uh, and also no one gets really bored because I don't think the end goal isn't to make make ourselves into incredibly efficient machines because I think as we talked about in the pilot episode last last time it's that's not what we're that's not why we're doing this and we're not trying to be the most efficient, most cost-effective operations, but at the same time, we do have to be moderately efficient and moderately cost-effective. And, and my theory, which I'm going to be trying out, is that if everyone gets the fulfilment of, of seeing a title through to the end, but also does just some helpful work with with the area of their where their strength lies, then we can kind of have the best of both worlds. But I realise saying that, is anything the best of both worlds? Is that, is that ever possible? Do we only just achieve kind of a disappointing approximation of something? I like the that, idea really... of um, people sort of babysitting projects. And I think yeah. giving people responsibility is very empowering and it leads to good work. Yes. And I'm trying to get... I've realised that by this year I've set up a submissions department. Um, uh, but it's meant that the other people haven't got involved in submissions. And, and so the production person is just dumped the latest successful submissions without having seen them before, and you're, they're already having to work on them and so on. And that's, that's, yeah. I've realised that's not really on. So next year, where everyone, every sort of stakeholder in Valley Press is going to get a chance to look at and have, a, have their say on submissions as well as just the, yeah. the readers. I think it's, well, well, I guess I was thinking about what makes me keep going and even through the hard times, and I guess it's the idea of having 
chosen something which I really believed in and seeing it through to being a lovely book I think that's that's what kind of, kind of drags me along sometimes and however efficient I could be I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to deny other people in the team that experience because I think it would be quite sad and also kind of you know kind of pointless because it's interesting reading things that people send in and maybe in a future episode we'll talk about submissions and why why we are open and I don't know our editorial policies but now I would just (laughs) for now I would just say that it's really interesting seeing what people send you and it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to receive these manuscripts so Yeah, yeah, that, that comes back to rule one. I want one. to share that out. Because if the people are either buying a book or submitting, then it is a, it is our privilege and honour, isn't it? That's a, good, um, yeah. that's a good point. That's why they should be treated like the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> can I, uh, uh, would you object to me very quickly mentioning rules three and four, then we can forget about it? Okay, yes. Okay. So these two are very closely linked. All right, so deep breath, everyone. <laughs> Rule three is a pound saved is a pound made. So this is like, say the printer says, oh, we'll print that book for £1,328. You, you at least go, oh, come on, we can forget about the £28, can't we, Mr. Printer? And he goes, oh, right, okay. <laughs> So then you've like, that's like selling three or four books. So that's good. All right. But then rule four is be generous. And this would be, a case like I had an email this week from someone saying, "Oh, I've just ordered a copy of um, one of your books, um, and it's for a friend who's leaving on Friday. Can you make sure it's in today's post first class?" And then you, because um, normally I do second class post because those eight p yeah. really add up. Um, but <laughs> I, in that case, I went absolutely. In fact, I made a special trip to the post office to make sure it went into the post. Um, and sometimes I've spent like an extra five pounds on postage where someone said, oh, actually, I really need it on Monday. And I've said, all right, we'll make that happen for you. And I've put it in. So that's one example of generosity. Or giving away free books, like um, if an author visits the office and they say, oh, is this um, the new pamphlet by What's-His-Face? And you say, yes, yes, it certainly is, madam. Why don't you take that? Have that one on us. Um, <laughs> and then do you wink and tip your cap? Uh, if I'm wearing a cap, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so rule three... Pound saves a pound earned. Rule four, be generous. What do you think of those? Yeah, I guess my first thought on rule three is that sometimes trying to save a lot of money leads to kind of less good business decisions. But in the instance you gave of bargaining down with a printer, I think, yes, that is a good idea. I really struggle to to negotiate, which is a terrible thing to announce, but... <laughs> my general, um, so, my general tactics hey, are just, just to take say, advantage of Emma. She's a brilliant client. She'll, <laughs> she'll pay whatever you want. <laughs> well, I, I just find it hard because I guess I would find it annoying if someone tried to bargain with me because I think well the prices are there for a reason. Um, but the, I guess there is always a, a good guy discount. But I I struggle. Like I just hope that everyone will just say this is the price. So I what I do is I just say what is your best quote for this, and I. I hope that they, they would give me the absolute lowest. And I know that's not how it works. And I know that if you ask, probably they will bring it down. But I don't know. I, I think that's just, that is one of my character flaws. And I think I just guess it from my dad. Like, we, we just, we're very accepting. <laughs> and I seem honesty in everyone. Maybe you just need one of your team members to uh, take over the, um, 
the quotation yeah definitely yeah that's definitely a part which I think I, I should hand over because I I I'm not making the best decisions and yeah and I get too emotionally attached to all my printer contacts and think oh they oh. They, they, they would never charge me extra then they know <laughs> they know I'm not flush um but that's yeah that's incredibly naive what I try to do is to um always get three quotes if I'm gonna have a book printed um yeah and then one of them's always cheapest yeah and then I can say to but if I'd rather go with a different company um uh, that then I can say, well, so and so has offered to do it for twelve hundred. You can do that, can't you? And uh, <laughs> there's one company who we both use who always say, "Oh, go on there, just this once," or some something like that. Um, uh, and sometimes that's been one email, and it's come down by two hundred pounds or three hundred pounds, and that's a real, um, a real eye opener. Yeah, when I hear things like that, I just think I'm terrible at business. I need to sharpen, sharpen up, Emma. <laughs> But it helps, it helps <laughs> yeah, if you've got the quotes from the other printers to show them. And yeah, look. and I always do have other quotes. I guess it's just that I know in my heart of hearts which printer I would prefer for, for this job. And I think I would just rather have this printer. So I don't even want to jeopardise anything. Oh, I um, but that. I don't know what I think is going to happen. Like They're not going to kind of spit in my ink or something. So <laughs> I know I should just ask. <laughs> Every, we're all business people here. But, but yeah, what we'll I, do, I, I kind of, what I'd do if, if I was a printer and I, and I didn't like you was I'd just bend the corner of every paperback very slightly <laughs> well you say that but sometimes i get whole batches of books and the, the top corners of the spine are slightly ripped all over that's a coincidence so maybe... isn't it after what we just talked about <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but yeah so i think in that in the instance of i don't know i guess b2b business to business which i've very recently learned about then i think rule three definitely applies i think in more general kind of strategic decisions I think sometimes thinking about cutting the costs isn't a good idea. I don't know. Like for even to go back to the printers, I think what if, for example, your your publishing house was founded on um, the idea of kind of creating very beautiful books. If you could save even kind of three hundred, four hundred pounds by going with a much cheaper printer, but these books would definitely be be a little bit flimsy and would kind of start to kind of chip away at your reputation for for creating beautiful objects. Would, would that be worth it or would it be better to go with a, a higher quality sort of print spec and spend a bit more money but help build your reputation, your branding? So that's very kind of, I don't know. I do have an answer for this. It'll be hard to track. Okay, oh, good. <laughs> well, another rule which I which is not made by publishing rules, but it might. This could be number five. This is more of a life rule. And this is that good enough is always good enough. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah. So if you you think about getting a book from this cheap printer and it's super cheap, but is it good enough? And if you're thinking, no, this is flimsy, bleh, then it's not good enough. So you go with the printer who can do it so it's good enough. Yeah, does yeah. that make sense? That's a bit, that's a bit too ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. and that's actually, that's interesting because that's one of the things I've been thinking about very recently, just in the last few months, I've been trying to work out how to run the Emma Press without just breaking myself. And I think one one thing that kind of stuck in my head, I think I was listening to the um, Spotify audio commentary on the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend season one soundtrack. And so it's the... That's very very niche. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the show's creator, Rachel Bloom, and one of the other songwriters, and then the producer. And the producer also kind of chips into the songs. And she just said, my favourite kind of song is done. So, like... Ah. <laughs> or maybe my favourite kind of song is finished. And I thought, yeah, so I often think to myself, my favourite kind of book is finished. Yeah, my favourite kind of book is one that's on the shelf and came out four years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe not so much that, or kind of my, my favourite kind of promotional campaign is just done. And that's because my default with most things will be to kind of lament why I couldn't do them better. So why couldn't I pour more time into, I don't know, the press release of this book? Or I don't know, why couldn't I, I give more? Why couldn't I pull my eyes out and drain myself dry, making this the best thing ever. Um, and obviously that's not a healthy way to be. So I've been thinking more about kind of how, how at least it's done. And there are so many different parts that go into a book that I think it's impressive that any books happen at all. And yeah, so good enough is good enough. Maybe I, could, I would, I would embroider that. I, I think that's definitely something I need to spend time thinking about because also I think, we do both have quite high standards, so good enough for us in the kind of just about good enough sense is probably still quite good. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have, just recognizing that. I think I have mild mild perfectionist tendencies, but you definitely have them not so mild, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and yeah, I mean, it's help, it's helpful to confront that and, and think about obviously there are some aspects which I don't want to change and I think are important obviously quality tr- control is important and that adds to the reputation and, and the brand and I, I wouldn't want to give that up but at the same time I, I kind of think does any would anyone notice if I did slightly less would anyone notice if I just lowered my standards slightly in a way that kind of was healthier for me and that the thing I've maybe come to realize or decided to believe is that probably no one really minds and in my head every time I'm not doing quite good enough I think I, I just kind of imagine the various people involved just kind of weeping or just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> just kind of cast down on craggy rocks on a, a desolate cliffside just see, weeping yeah. so and you're sick. And, you're in the yeah. office going um, oh I'll just leave this press release as it is it's not perfect but I'll just send it off anyway because it's nine o'clock and you imagine them on the street outside in the rain just whimpering a little bit <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Or, or even just kind of sitting in their room just feeling a bit sad just a chill around the spine <laughs> yeah and I think oh it's in it's within my power I could do better but the point is that <laughs> if I thought that's about everything I would I would just be a husk well you have and, to keep going yeah. until it's good enough because if it, um, you have to because otherwise you can't really live with yourself or certainly not comfortably so it has to be yes. it has to actually be good enough but it doesn't have to be better than that yeah, but also sometimes you do you do just have things that have to be done. So recently I had a book that really needed to come out on a certain date and I was editing it and it took longer than I'd expected. So I was really up to the wire with sending it off to the printer. But, but I thought, so I had to kind of juggle with myself. Or I had to kind of, yeah, balance up. Like it couldn't not be done, but at the same time I had to kind of settle on some some different on some aspects of the book because it just had to be done. And I thought in this instance, all my favorite, my favorite outcome of this is done and there is no other way around it. So I just had to make it happen. But in most, yeah, I, I try to avoid those, those instances where there's no other choice and just, you just have to do things. 
I think we've come to a natural end of the podcast. We've covered the golden rules of publishing, according to Jamie McGarry. Copyright. And (laughs) in future episodes, (laughs) in future episodes, we will be talking again about things that have happened to us during the week, as well as broader theories about publishing. And also hopefully answering some of your questions. So definitely do send us in anything to do with publishing or what we've talked about in our previous podcasts. My email address is editor at theemmapress.com and Jamie's is jamie at valleypressuk.com and we'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> um, and so far we've had no questions but just a few snippets of feedback. So on Twitter, Joe Optimistic said... Um, he was referring to something Jamie had said about, I didn't realise that you could do it as a job, so running a whole publisher. And he said, true for so many disciplines, I discovered rules in filmmaking, that's a whole career path in itself. That was nice. And Jane Newbury said, listened while cleaning, felt bucked and cheered. It's a great idea. So that was really nice as well, because I often listen to podcasts while kind of hanging out laundry and things. So that's kind of how I imagine people listening to it, as well as on trains. Um, and then Kim Russell on Facebook said, it's great to hear your voices. You are very relaxed in your podcast. And I looked forward to listening to more, which was also nice because I, I worried that maybe I would sound strained and frantic. So <laughs> it's reassuring to, to, to hear that. Uh, so thank you very much for those very nice comments. Um, and definitely do send in, send in some questions if you have any. Yeah, so it's, it's goodbye from me, Jane McGarry. And it's goodbye from me, Emma Wright. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well done. <laughs> <laughs>